wonderful assignment of talking to you about our belief in the doctrine of salvation. And uh, this is a wonderful doctrine, and it's kind of set in the middle of all of the beliefs that we're going to be sharing in the next few weeks. We started with the belief about God and then our scriptures. And then Pastor Brent took us through a wonderful explanation of our beliefs about mankind. And Pastor Errol then, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and now tucked right in the middle of uh, the beliefs that are going to follow, we have this doctrine of salvation, which if you want a real technical term, it's called soteriology. And that's the big word for it. It just means the doctrine of salvation. And I put up there this morning, Cliff's Notes. And that's because we're going to be feeding you with a fire hose today instead of just a garden hose. And you're going to be gulping and I'm going to be racing and uh, we'll try to keep you warm. How's that? You know, I don't have a real lot of sympathy because I know a lot of you will go and sit for three hours at a football game, shivering to death and so forth. And besides, this will help you keep awake. And uh, so we're going to march on this morning. A wonderful doctrine. I'm so glad that it just so happened that I was the one available to do this today. And so we're going to uh, just run through these doctrines, but I hope to make them as alive and real as I possibly can with you this morning. So let's start with the first slide. We believe that salvation of lost mankind is wholly of God by grace. All salvation begins with God's grace. We sometimes think that uh, salvation begins with God's love, and it's certainly involved in, in our salvation. But the word grace itself means undeserved favor. And so for God to even begin to love you, he had to pronounce his undeserved favor, his grace on you and on me. And so salvation really is all a matter of grace. It begins and it ends with grace. And then we ask this question, why is mankind lost? Because that's a problem. A lot of people don't understand their lostness before a holy God. Pastor Brent referred to that in his message on mankind, and he did a good job. But there's lots of things we can say, and we don't always get to say. And so I'm going to add just two little uh, flavors to what he shared with you a couple of weeks ago. And that is that, uh, in a very real sense, Adam and Eve were representatives of all mankind at the beginning. And they lived in a perfect environment. They had a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They had a perfect will, a perfect intellect, and perfect emotions. Everything was perfect. Nothing could have been more perfect. Perfect is perfect. And so in that idyllic existence, they were given one simple command, easy command. Don't eat from that one tree. You can eat from all of the other trees, but not that one. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They didn't even know, need to know the difference between good and evil because there was no evil. They didn't need to know that. Now, here's the thing. If you and I had been Adam and Eve, it wouldn't have been any more perfect environment, no more perfect relationship with God, relationship with each other. Our intellect would have been perfect. Our will would have been perfect. Our emotions would have been perfect. Perfect is perfect. So we would have done the same thing. That's what God says. I made everything perfect. 
Nothing standing in your way. One little command. You would have done it too. But there's a second aspect to why all men are lost. And I can't prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I will suggest to you that in a very real way, the sin nature has been transmitted from Adam to Cain to Abel to Seth and on down till it gets to us. And the reason I believe that is because of what we call the doctrine of the virgin birth. Why did Jesus only have a human mother? Because the sin nature is transferred through the Father. It's a spiritual, physical transaction that takes place. And so God had to be the Father who had no sin, and Mary could be the mother, and he could then be the holy God-man. So in two ways, both representative and actual birth. David said, in sin did my mother conceive me. Wasn't the act that made conception. It was at conception. We were born in sin. And so not only are we born in sin, not only would we have sinned, but we choose to sin every day. And so in a very real way, we're lost. We're lost to God. And you see those verses on the screen there. I'm not going to read every verse in every case, but you probably can read ahead with me. And notice that it says in Romans 5, 12, when sin entered the world, and when Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. That's God's point of view. Now, our salvation begins with God, Because of his love, mercy, and grace. And I suggest to you grace coming first. And we read in 2 Timothy chapter, Titus chapter 3 verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Our salvation does not begin with us. It begins with God and it begins with his grace. And then we see love, mercy, and grace uh, added there. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. So that's an important starting point. Salvation begins with God. And then we follow through and more about that in a few minutes. And our faith statement continues in this way through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. And then we would suggest that Jesus' death on the cross was absolutely necessary. And without it, there could be no salvation. The reason for that is in Romans chapter 5, verse 10. When we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. And that's an important uh, concept. We were God's enemies. You know, every once in a while in testimonies, baptismal testimonies or other kinds of testimonies that we hear from time to time. I hear young people say and older people say, I have always loved God. From the time I was a real little person, I loved God and, you know, I just wanted to please God. Well, you see, in a sense that's true because I think in every human being we have that uh, innate reaching out for God. There's something missing in life. And we're reaching out for something more. But in truth, God sees us as enemies because of our sin. And so 
Uh, we were God's enemies and we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And so we move on because there's so much more. And all of this is by the merit of his shed blood. And why was the shedding of blood necessary? You know, I've often wondered, why couldn't God have killed Jesus by hanging him? Why couldn't he have strangled him? Why couldn't he have poisoned him? Why this gruesome, awful crucifixion from which we get the word excruciating? Yesterday afternoon, I was watching a television program on the History Channel about the excruciating reality of the cross. And they tried to mimic uh, the, uh, the cross, not with nails, but by hanging a young man on a, on a cross, and he had not been beaten like Jesus had been beaten. You know that when those scourgings, they literally ripped the back. The, all the skin of the back was basically in tatters. The, the, the muscles were actually torn apart and cut. And even getting down to the, to the lungs, where the lungs were actually punctured, by those bits of stone and those uh, bits of glass and so forth. It was a merciless kind of beating. You've never seen anything like it. That's what Jesus went through first. This young man was up there, no beating, had plenty of food, plenty to drink before he went on that cross. And there he hung on that cross. And after 15 minutes, his legs just began to go like this. And his arms were just going crazy. 30 minutes, he begged to be taken down. Because his muscles had begun to cramp. And there was just, it was too awful painful for him to stay up. They brought that young man down from the cross. Jesus was on that cross for six hours. Brutal back. Nothing to eat. Been awake all night. Been interrogated. Just unbelievably weak. He'd fallen with the cross because he was utterly exhausted. And it suggested that Probably what happened was he bruised his heart. And from that bruise in his heart, when you're on the cross, your, your heart is beating 180, 200 beats per minute. And you're barely able to breathe. And so it's believed by many that Jesus actually literally died of a broken heart, an aneurysm that exploded after he was on the cross. Well, why was the shedding of blood necessary? From the very first day with Adam and Eve when they had sinned, what did God do? He went over and he slew an animal and he cut the, the coat of that animal off and he covered Adam and Eve with that clothing from the dead animal. Blood was spilled. They had started to cover themselves with leaves. God said, no, there has to be blood to atone for your sin. The law says that almost everything must be made clean by blood. And sins cannot be forgiven without blood to show death. Leviticus 17, life, the life is in the blood. And then we read in our faith statement that this is not on the basis of human merit or by works. Now this is counterintuitive, but absolutely necessary. What I want to say here. Is uh, Well, let's read that first verse, Ephesians 2.9. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. 
You know, every religion in the world except Christianity is based on doing good works. If I do enough, that, then God is going to be satisfied. Literally, every, every religion except Christianity. Ours is based on a relationship, not on, you know, fear of doing enough. Muslim faith, the Hindu faith, the Buddhist faith, everything. And that's the way we think as human beings. It's built into our DNA. One of our men yesterday at the Master's Men Breakfast made this comment. He said, we can hardly get away from it. Everything we do when we go to work, we have this understanding. If I do this much work, I get this much pay. In our social relationships, often we're just we're beside ourselves. When somebody comes and gives us a gift, unsuspecting, we get a gift. And the first thing that comes to my mind is, what am I going to give him back? And in our families, we teach our children that if you do your chores, you get this reward. If you disobey over here, then you don't get the car or your phone is going to be taken away. So everything in our mindset is built on this idea of doing good, getting paid. But that's not the way it works in salvation. And you notice in that verse, that very familiar verse, uh, uh, verse two, chapter 2, verse 9, in Ephesians, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, in almost every sermon I preach, I get to that particular verse. And it's because of this total misunderstanding of people. Because most people say, if you add up my good points and you subtract my bad points, I'm pretty sure the good's going to outweigh the bad. And so they feel as though that's the way they're going to get to heaven. And the problem is that if someone could do enough good works, first of all, that would say that Jesus' death on the cross was not good enough. It didn't pay for all sin, most, but not all. So you have to work to get the rest erased. But even worse, if you could get up to heaven and you and it depended on your good works, and if you already know this, just tuck it away and use it with your friend the next time. And that's this idea that if you could get to heaven and you stood before Almighty God, imagine this, Almighty God who created the entire universe and it is just beyond belief, glory and and holiness. And you stand up to him and you puff out your chest and say, man, I'm glad I made it. It was tough. But you can't imagine how hard I worked and do I feel good about that? And then all of a sudden you look over at somebody else and you say, yeah, but you know what? I knew him. He was in my church. He hardly ever came to church. One out of four, you know. And he was never really that involved in the life of the church. I never really, I don't think he tithed. I don't think he even came close, you know. And so what do we have here? We have bragging before Almighty God and we got complaining about other believers. And friends, that sounds an awful lot like hell to me. I wouldn't want to be in a heaven like that. No, 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 no. There's not going to be any boasting in heaven except boasting about what Jesus did on that cross. Now there's something even better. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. When a person was put on a cross, always before, up on, over his head or maybe on his chest, there was a sign. And it had the the uh, prisoner's name and it had the charge that there was against him 
And so over Jesus, it said, the king of the Jews. And the Jews said, no, 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 make it. He said he was king of the Jews. And Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. There forever is the, the truth, king of the Jews. And so what Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying that Jesus did, that when Jesus was on that cross, he took your charge of sin and he nailed it to the cross, the cross on which he was bearing your sin, and he canceled your sin, canceled it out, erased it. We're going to talk more about that in terms of what's involved in that whole cancellation process. You see, it's the international, it, it's the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit by which we receive eternal life and share in the divine nature. Look at what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And by that same mighty power, he has given us all the other rich and wonderful blessings he promised. For instance, the promise to save us from the lust and rottenness all around us and to give us his own character. All around us. Take a look at the world for just a second. What's going on? The world is nuts. America is crazy with lust and greed and not, you know, when you look at individual people, you say, well, there's a nice person, but in the aggregate, America's a mess. And so is the rest of the world. And it says that the Lord rescues us from this lust and rottenness all around us, and he gives us his character. That's the aim of salvation in the end. That we be conformed to the image of Christ, Romans chapter 8. And so that God makes that possible. That's his job. From the time you say yes to him, he begins to do that work in you, which helps you to become more and more like Jesus. Is that true of you today? You becoming more and more like him? Or are you just kind of walking alongside? This supernatural work of the Holy Spirit starts with the new birth, at which time eternal life begins. John chapter 3. We have Nicodemus coming to the Lord Jesus. He's a teacher of Israel. He's one of the higher-ups in the Sanhedrin. And he basically comes to Jesus at night. He sneaks in at night and he says, Good teacher, you know, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus turns to him and says, Well, you must be born again. Unless you're born again, look at what it says. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. And Nicodemus is stumped. He says, how on earth can that happen? How can you get back into your mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus said, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't understand this? And then he goes on to say it again. You must be born again. The spirit blows where he wants to blow. He lights on someone and you're born again. Repentance, which is by faith in the substitutional death of Christ, is essential in it, in this supernatural work. And and it's declared in uh, Acts 20, 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how it works. The Holy Spirit does come. And sometimes at the oddest times, sometimes it's in church. Sometimes it's just wherever he chooses and he touches us. And we begin to have an openness to him. 
And then we hear the truth about Jesus, and we express faith in that, and also repentance. Faith and repentance, two sides of the same coin. Has to be repentance of sin, because we're God's enemies. We have to repent. Now we're going to expand on this as we move along, but so that it all starts to come together. Because on the basis of Christ's substitutionary death, which provided propitiation for our sins. And what we mean here is that God's wrath was satisfied by Jesus' death. And take a look at that scripture. He is the propitiation. That's a big word, isn't it? And in most of your translations, it's not there. But in the English Standard Version and the King James Version, it still is. It's a good word. It means satisfied. God was satisfied. His wrath was satisfied by Jesus' death, which provided propitiation for our sins. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. You see, God was angry. God's both holy, and that also fits under, anger fits under that, but he's also love and grace. But we were his enemies, and so he was wrathful towards us. But when Jesus died on the cross, his wrath was satisfied because somebody, holy, had paid for Adam's sin. That's how God thinks about it. And so God declares us righteous or justified in Christ. Now listen, this is not just the forgiveness of sin, but a declaration that we are totally, already righteous in God's eyes. Let's think about this for just a minute. Jesus dies on the cross. God's wrath is satisfied. Now God says, not only am I satisfied, but I'm going to forgive your sins. Isn't that wonderful to think about it? That all of your sins, all your past sins, all your present sins, all your future sins, all forgiven. Wonderful. Not good enough. Not in God's eyes. Because what God does, he declares us righteous. Some have said it's just as if we'd never sinned. But God doesn't even look at it that way. He says, there is no sin. You are perfectly righteous in my eyes. Imagine that. As righteous as Jesus. That's how he sees us. That's unbelievable. Now that's grace. That's undeserved favor. That's love to the nth degree. To declare us as being righteous. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God. The sentence has been paid through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone, for everyone who places faith in Jesus as Savior. Now we come to this idea of reconciliation. The the penalty has been satisfied. We've been declared righteous. And having been reconciled to God, we are no longer God's enemies as we used to be. 
You see, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Let's take a look at what that really means. First of all, we've got God's wrath. That wrath is satisfied by Jesus' death on the cross. A perfectly holy man died in our place. Jesus was on the cross. He nailed our sentence on the cross. It was as if we were on the cross from God's point of view. And now we exercise faith and repentance. Faith that Jesus did it and repentance of the sin that had made us his enemies. So here's what happens. We're walking away from God most of our lives. The Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder. We're born again. We turn around in faith and in repentance. And what do we see? We do not see an angry God standing there. Well, it's about time. (laughs) What took you so long? No, we don't see that at all. When we turn around in repentance, because repentance, Uh, Repentance means we're walking the wrong way. Now we're going to turn around and walk the right way. Here's what we see. We see a heavenly father with his arms stretched out open wide. Say, come on. You know, the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, perfect illustration of how God is looking, looking, looking for him to turn around. And when he does, his arms are open wide. He runs to him and he puts his arms around him. That's reconciliation. And we have that oneness then with God. Does it get any better than this? Isn't this the best news you've ever heard? This is the best news you can tell to everyone you know. Unbelievable. All the redeemed once saved are kept by God's power and are secure in Christ forever. We understand this as the perseverance of the saints which is started and sustained by the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And look at that verse there in Ephesians 1.13. And Pastor Errol talked to us about this week, so I won't go into detail on this. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. We'll have more to say about that praise. But I do want you to understand that It starts with God and it ends with God. He taps you on the shoulder. You're born again. You exercise faith, repentance. You're reconciled because you've made peace with God. Jesus made peace with God for you. He reconciles you and now he keeps you in that relationship so that you can continue to grow more and more like Jesus. Starts with God's grace, ends with God's grace. He keeps you all the way through. Wow. It's just getting better and better. This assurance of our salvation is based solely upon the promise of God's word. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is our best evidence that we're saved forever. Building on that, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So when you have doubts and when you have fears, the Holy Spirit is there quickly to say, no, no, no. 
You're my son. You're mine. You belong to me. You're an heir. By the way, when we were in Israel a couple weeks ago, uh, Julie and I, we were amongst a, a bunch of families, and it was really precious to hear all of the boys and the little girls calling out to their daddy, Abba, Abba, and uh, to their mothers, Ima, Ima, Abba, Ima. And uh, so this is a term that means daddy. And that's how we can relate to God the Father as our daddy. It's not sacrilegious, it's just there. We can, Abba, Father, Daddy, I need help. And so at last we're ready for our central truth for the day. You knew it was coming, I hope. You knew that central truth was coming. Awareness of the gift of salvation should cause us to praise, receive, and grow. And we should pray, give, or go. Now, I want to take each one of those apart uh, one by one. Are we clear on that? I, I, you know, you got the fire hose today. I, I, I'm sorry for that. But um, they gave me a grand total of 30 minutes today to talk about the biggest doctrine in the church. And uh, I don't even know how many minutes I've got left. I think uh, eight. So here we go. Flying again. Praise the Father that he has chosen us and we have chosen him. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Another, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. And then following up, he did this so that we would praise and glorify him. Here's what we're praising. Praise God. You, thank you for saving me. Thank you, Lord. I can't praise you enough for this unbelievable gift that you've given to me. I praise you. And so we come and worship. Come and worship on Sunday mornings. But we're worshiping all week long. We bring our worship to church, remember? And so we're praising God every day. And so some of us, you know, are, are crying out, but God, why not others? That's not the question. The question is, God, why me? Out of the 7 billion people in the world, why on earth did you and your grace, your love and your mercy pick me up out of that slew of despond and bring me into sonship with you? Praise, praise, praise. Amazing. And then we need to receive the Son as our Lord and Savior in repentance and faith. Yes, to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You have to receive Jesus as Savior. And then look at Romans 10, 9, and 10, because this is how you do it. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're not Lord anymore, He is. You're not marching to your instructions anymore, you're marching to His. And that's part of repentance. You can't call Him Lord without turning back away from the way you were walking. Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Raised from the dead means he's, he's sitting at the right hand of God and he has the power to save you. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. Have you done that? 
small group like this, I assume early in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, that most of you have done that. But on the small chance that someone else is here who's never done that, is not sure, right now where you sit, you can say, Lord Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. Forgive my sin. Declare me righteous. Come into my life. Make me a new person. Conform me to the image of Jesus and his character. And help me to serve you the rest of my life. I don't care what words you use. God knows your heart. And as you express your heart to him, as coming to him, not running from him, not stubbornly stiffing him, but you say, Lord, I'm, I'm through fighting. I'm yours. Whatever it is, he knows. And he'll take you in. So we praise the Lord, we receive the Lord, and then we grow in our walk with God through the power of the Holy Spirit so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as you love yourself. We need to grow. Next week we have the doctrine of sanctification. That is how do we become more and more like Jesus. And Pastor Errol is going to be delivering that message next week. And so we can move on. Now, having taken care of that, as far as ourselves are concerned, we're praising God and we've received him and now we're growing in him. Here are some things that we need to do. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send more workers to tell this unbelievable good news. Um, I love uh, the way it's expressed in the message. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. You can be one of those hands. But you can pray for others to be part of the harvest. And this morning we are going to be introducing you to two of those people who've gone out to the harvest field. That will be just in a couple of minutes. Not only should we pray that more will go, but we also need to give generously to the Lord so that the message can keep expanding. Not only here, but as Paul said, or as the Holy Spirit said, to the uttermost part of the earth. Give generously to the Lord so that his church and kingdom will grow. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Now, I'm of a mind, I'm kind of strict on this, that um, a lot of us can't give generously for various reasons. Uh, in, but in most cases, I'm going to be on, brutally honest with you, in most cases, the reason we cannot give to the standard of the Lord, which I believe is 10% of our income, because we've mismanaged God's resources. That comes as a blow, but it's true. I've, there's only a few ex- exceptions to that. You're sick and you can't work. Uh, you're, you're incapacitated, you can't work. You've been fired and so you don't have a job. Or you've been laid off and you don't have a job. God doesn't expect 10% of nothing. But if you're working, he does expect that and more. And if you can't do it, you need to check up on what you're doing wrong with his resources. 
And look what it says. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure. Press down. You know, when I do my oatmeal in the morning, I'm only supposed to have a half a cup. But you know what I do? I press it down. So I get a little bit more in that half a cup. Shake it together. I do that too. Shake it a little bit. Press it down. And running over, and I do run it over. I never take just a half a cup. Will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Joyce is famous for saying, you know, we shovel in with a little shovel, but God's shovel is always bigger. And that's true. And if you have the faith to believe that, you'll start giving generously and you'll get your finances, you know, fixed. You can do that through our Peace University that we give every so often. And then finally, did that hurt? I hope some of you felt your arm twist a little bit. But, you know, when you do it God's way, my goodness, just blossoms, just blossoms. Finally, go into your world to live and tell the good news so that people will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and praise your Father in heaven. Go. Go to your neighborhood. Go to where you work. Go to your families. And just go with this message at every opportunity. Don't force it on people. Don't be obnoxious. But go with the readiness. Lord, who is there today who needs to hear about Jesus? And you'll give me the privilege. And some of you, some of you can go to the foreign field. I know a man right now who's 65. His wife's about the same age. They're in retirement. They've gone to the Bahamas on Long Island, which was utterly destroyed by the last hurricane. Totally, I've seen the pictures, utterly destroyed. And there this 65-year-old man and woman are going and they're serving God for nothing because their pension is being paid and they can go and serve. I knew a man who was 85 years old, went to Haiti, went up into the mountains to serve as our hospital administrator, had plenty of money, so he charged the mission absolutely nothing to administer the hospital. You're never too old. Never too old. And most of us are... Not too young. And so we have two representatives here this morning. We have Caleb Mercado from CYC in Morris, who is giving his life to the teenagers there in a wonderful, wonderful ministry. Come on up, Caleb, and uh, share your good news with us today. Good morning. Again, my name is Caleb, and I'm the director for the Christian Youth Center of Morris. I've been directing there for about a year now. So a couple weeks ago, I was trying to figure out what would I put together to share with, with you guys this morning. And as I was going over my notes at the center, one of the girls comes in, she walks over to me, and she says, hey, guess what? I wrote about the center today at school. She told me that her teacher had given them instructions to basically write a paper inviting somebody, trying to persuade them to come to a place they've never been before. And so I would like to do, what I'd like to do is just read that to you if that's okay. And I had to type it out myself because I could not really read her writing at first. 
CYCM by Lily Good. CYCM, the Christian Youth Center of Morris, is a great place. We meet on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We meet at 6.30 p.m. You can come earlier if you want to, but do not eat before you come, exclamation mark. CYCM always provides a delicious dinner for us. Sometimes we even get pizza from Little Caesars. Tuesday is our group day. We sometimes watch a video that educates us about God, or sometimes even helps us understand ourselves and how we feel. It may so sound boring so far, but trust me, it's not! Exclamation mark. After we do that, we play games. Then if we still have time, we can hang out, and if you like sports, they have a gym you can play in. Also, they have video games. The CYCM has a variety of options. Anyone can come. CYC is home to us. They treat you like you are family. The leaders are also always there to hear you talk. The leaders will help you through any problems you have. Before we start at 6.30, you can also come anytime after 3 p.m. There is a tutor there that is there to help you with your homework. She is very helpful. Thursdays, we talk about things also. It's technically the same as Tuesday, but we don't watch videos. Sometimes we don't even watch videos on a Tuesday. CYCM has snacks the whole time and drinks. They added a program for teen girls also. At 5 p.m. on Tuesdays, you can sign up to be in the program to help with any relationship problems. That is only a girl group, and you have to sign up. You can sign up at any time when you're at CYCM. My point is that CYCM is a great place to go, and I encourage you all, whoever reads this, to go. Give it a chance. Anyone can. If you end up not liking it, you never have to go again. But trust me, you'll like it. And then she writes in the bottom in big letters, come to CYCM, exclamation mark, you, yeah, you. So the Christian Youth Center of Morris has been opening up its doors to teens grades 6 through 12 for years now. We have a bunch of alumni that refuse to leave and are now leading at the CYCM as volunteers. These alumni continue to speak highly of this place and the leaders that came before me. The CYCM is a nonprofit organization that runs completely on donations. We would like to thank you, Manuka Bible, for helping us accomplish many things over the years. Through the prayers and donations of this church and other local churches and families, we will continue to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will continue to love our kids and listen while the Holy Spirit brings peace and the wisdom that we need to lead the youth in Morris. We're believing that God will move through others to help us finish our gym. The kids love that gym, but it's time to add heat and insulation so we can use that part of our facility year-round. Please continue to pray over the center with us. We've actually begun to change the way we pray. We're not praying that Johnny would pull his pants up and wear them at his waist. We would pray, Lord, may he wear a belt. We're praying that any anger or pain would fall off as they walk through our doors because the peace of the Lord permeates our building. 
We're praying that our kids would fall in love with Jesus and desire to seek the kingdom of God and all its righteousness because we know that then everything else would fall into place. Thank you for your time. Yes, we've been supporting CYC in um, Joliet and then transferred over to CYCM. And uh, we also have the center that's operating out of New Lenox with uh, Kelly Corcoran. And she has a table back there and uh, Caleb has a table. And uh, so we encourage you to to check out those ministries. But now we want to hear from, I, I know John's here. John Tello is here. Oh, I'm sorry. We have a, a, a video from Caleb and Christy Haig. They're not here. So let's run the video. Hi, my name is Elijah Haig. These are my sisters, Lydia and Chloe. Yo 
next stop is Texas to learn the language. My parents will be in Spanish school for 10 minutes. It's very important that we know Spanish. That way we can share the gospel. No wise fear and unbelief. In a language that they can understand. Not only can we go to our neighbors, to our work, to our loved ones with this unbelievable message, but we have other opportunities for you and me to serve. That's why we've established 2012, 13, 14, 15, and 16 is coming. And we have these various ministries that are available uh, to you right here. Feed My Starving Children, uh, the Royal Family Kids Camp, and this uh, thing of uh, trafficking. We have Jody Shelton here is involved with the... um, Salvation Army Trafficking Ministry in Chicago, and there's room for more. Uh, We have ministries of uh, going to Haiti. We've just returned from Bulgaria. Uh, Next summer, we'll be going somewhere else. Hasn't been nailed down yet, but we'll know that in the next couple of weeks. And so you can serve, you can go in lots of different ways, and always when you do, your heart is filled And you are, in fact, drawn closer to the Lord. And you learn how to serve Him better. And so I encourage you to pray, to give, or to go, or do all three. Let's stand for prayer. Father in heaven, we want to thank you now for our salvation. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me your great salvation so rich and free. Lord, help us all in this room to take that message wherever and whenever we can for your glory. I pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.